Last week, the title of the message uh, last week and this week is called Healing Prayer. Healing Prayer, learning how to pray in our pain. Learning how to pray in our pain. And I'm going to continue where we left off last week, but just by way of uh, a very quick review. don't like to take too much time to review, but just to kind of help us a little bit, we're going to just mention the first uh, couple of uh, principles that we did talk about. But James chapter 5, you have your Bibles, encourage you to use your Bibles, uh, use pen, paper, take notes, be engaged in the Word of the Lord. But James chapter 5, it'll be on the screen in the English Standard Version. I'm going to read it, and uh, then we'll uh, uh, make a few comments before we get into part 2. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours. Was a man just like us. A human being just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Lord, we just pray your Lord, blessing would be on our ears. We don't need to pray the blessing on the Word because it is blessed. It's God-breathed. We need the blessing on our ears to take the Word in our hearts. The Word says that faith comes by hearing. Lord, uh, help us to hear this morning, and Lord, uh, be encouraged in faith this morning as we open Your Word. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable and pleasing in Your sight. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things uh, from last week mentioned that in this passage, prayer is mentioned five times. That should should give you a little indication of what is important to the writer, James, that prayer, and it's how to pray uh, through and in our pain, how to pray through it in our pain. And, and, And in this passage that we just read, he mentions several situations that we uh, touched on and we'll touch on some more. He, touched, he talks about praying in emotionally distressing situations. He talks about uh, praying even in relatively happy, blessed situations. Uh, he talks about uh, praying in spiritually harmful situations. And the key is verse 16. I'll have you highlight that and look at that again on the screen. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I want you to, in your Bible, if you didn't underline power or powerful, if you have the King James or New King James, it may say avails much. But that power, that word is the word that we get uh, the word energy from, okay? A power. It has the power of the Holy Spirit. It's energetic. It's effectual, it's effective, it's 
it, it, it does what it is intended to do. And the Word of the Lord has so much to say about the value and the importance of prayer. It's our great privilege to talk to God because of our relationship that we have in Christ. It's our greatest power because we tap in and ask the creator of the universe to intervene and to intercede in our world, in our situation. Uh, Prayer is a great provision, a gift from the Lord. And this morning, as we will look at part two of the message, we looked and uh, touched on uh, in this passage what it counsels us, what it teaches us. It teaches us uh, on how to pray for healing, but it also gives us insight on how to pray for healing for other people. This is not the exhaustive sermon or message on everything Scripture teaches about healing. That is not the intent. We're just narrowly focusing on one passage in James chapter 5 is where our focus Uh, And so last week we uh, looked at a couple of things at the beginning on when should we pray for healing. And last week, and again, this is online and you can go back and listen to it. I encourage you to do that. And certainly uh, you'll have much more than I'll review this morning. But last week we looked at when should I pray for pain, when should I pray? Number one we looked at is whenever I'm feeling emotional pain. When should I pray for healing? is when I feel emotional pain. Emotional pain. James verse 13, again, this is just review, says, is anyone among you suffering? Or the NIV that I have on the screen is, are any of you in trouble? Is something troubling you? Let them pray. Troubles. Is something distressing you? Is something bringing hardship? It means that when you're going through a hard time, when you're stressed out, when you're ready to throw in the towel or throw in the dog or whatever it is you want to throw, pray, all right? Pray. Seek God. And so the technical uh, meaning of that Greek word speaks of, a, of, a, of that trouble or distress is due to the influence or effect of outside circumstances or even internal circumstances that are being troubled because of external situation. So when things are hard in your life, pray. When you're stressed out and you're stretched to the limit, pray. When your heart is breaking in a thousand pieces, pray. Again, prayer is not talking to God. It's speaking with God. It's relationship. It's as much hearing and listening as it is talking. And so when you pray, what do you pray about? Well, James was is very helpful because earlier in his letter in verse 5, he gives us this counsel. Remember, if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom is the right application of the truth that you know. A lot of us know, quote-unquote, what to do. Problem is, is how we apply it, how we make proper use of it. So if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks the ability to just know what to do. God, how do I navigate in this situation? How do I navigate these circumstances? What are we to do? We're to call a friend. We're to check in with Dr. Phil. We're to just scroll on Google for the problem. No, you pray. You God, you have, you have abided in me because I'm now a born-again believer. You've filled me with your spirit. You've enabled me to, to have a relationship with you. David understood this when he, when he said in Psalm 18, 6, 
He said, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. When my distress, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. You seek God. You come before the Lord. In my distress, you turn to the Lord. So that was the first thing. We spent a lot of time talking and pulling that out a lot more than we just did. So when are we to pray? We're talking about when. When are we to pray is I, when I feel emotional pain. But secondly, and we're actually kind of uh, going to continue this, but just to kind of bring us up to speed. Secondly, not only when we feel emotional pain, but we are to pray whenever I feel physical pain. Physical pain. Physical pain. Uh, James gives us a second time we should pray. I should pray when I'm feeling physical pain, sickness. Look at verses 14 and 15. Again, this is a little bit from last week. Is anyone among you sick? All right, so that right there, when should you pray? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or over her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, verse 15, of faith, of trust, will save the one who is sick. And so in verse 14, it says the word that is used for sickness is the word that we uh, derive the word anesthesia. It means that you're near to being uh, permanently put to sleep. It's a major illness. It's a, it's a sickness, not necessarily a sickness unto death, but it is a major illness. It is a life-threatening sickness. In fact, you're so sick you can't get out of bed to go to the church or go to the elders that have them pray. You need to have them make a house call. You hear what I'm saying? You need to call them. You don't need to just sit there and say, well, I'm just going to deal with it myself. No, he, the word of the Lord gives us some insight and gives us some help and gives us some instruction that that word sick means literally means without strength, to not have strength. What are you to do? You're to call for the leaders of the church to come and to pray. It's a serious illness. But in verse 15, notice something. If you mark the word in verse 14, sick, uh, verse 14, the word sick, but in verse 15, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That's a different word. That's not speaking of a major illness. That Again, if you, you know the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so that's the reason sometimes we, we refer to the Greek language, and sometimes the language in the Greek is a little more descriptive and has a little more insight than the English, sometimes a, an exact translation. But the word in verse 15, the word sick, isn't speaking about that if you have a major illness, but this word for sick is that would be something in our modern terminology would be a chronic illness, a chronic pain, an ongoing suffering of some kind to where we have been sapped of the energy and ability. We're not on our beds. We're not laying low, but we just, and many of you have this. Many of you have a continual chronic illness or pain. You're here today, and even as you, as you sit here and you listen, you're in some pain or discomfort because of your sickness or this illness. Well, again, in both cases, the Word of God helps us and say, what are we to do? We are to pray. We are to either call for the elders of the church to come in a very specific way, or in the other case is to pray for one another. And we'll kind of pull that apart in a little bit. And we talked about, touched on this a little bit, even though this isn't the message to get into this 
in detail and maybe at some point. But there's always, when you talk about healing, and that's the subject we're talking about, there's always two extremes, generally two extremes and a little bit in between, of different views that Christians have held and hold today concerning uh, healing. One is that it is always, without exception, every time God's will for a person to be healed in every situation and every sickness. No question. It's, that's, that's one view. The other side is that it's God's will to heal us completely once we're in heaven. But right now here on the earth, we just, you know, we just kind of have to work our way through it and do the best we can because the miracles and those type of things, we can't really expect those today because you know, we've been kind of taught that those things died off when the apostles died and we can't expect any type of miracles or pray for healing. That was something that the Lord did among the apostles and that's no longer operative today. But hey, ultimately we'll be, uh, we'll be healed once we're in heaven, but until then, and, and kind of as a, as a little give uh, on that maybe extreme position, it'd say, well, yeah, it doesn't. We're not saying that God won't heal. It's kind of like a broken clock is right at least twice a day. Kind of like, some of you have to let that meditate, what I mean by that. Um, but it means that, oh yeah, we're not, we're not discounting God won't heal, but it'll just kind of be random, maybe, whatever reason. So we can't, we, we, we shouldn't expect it. And over here, we should just unilaterally say every time without exception, we expect God to heal. And again, I kind of generalize those two views. At Grace Church, we try to maintain balance. And I quoted A.W. Tozer, a great writer, A.W. Tozer, said that uh, truth has two wings. Truth has two wings. You ever seen a bird with a broken wing just kind of flop around? Uh, Hopefully you've never been on an airplane that operated with one wing or one, you know. In other words, truth, in order for truth to soar, in order for truth to move forward, there must be balance. It has to have two wings. And sometimes what we do in certain emphases, we tend to emphasize one against the other. And that's where, again, we want to make sure that we're flying with two wings in all truth, but especially when we talk about healing. So, yes, God does heal today. I don't, I don't believe that Church history supports the idea that everything just ended when the last apostle, who was John, died, that that was kind of the age of the miracles and everything else now. Well, you know, we can't expect God to intervene in those type of ways. We don't confine those type of things. I believe that when Jesus said in John 14, 12, he said to his followers, his disciples, greater works will you do. Jesus did everything Jesus did. He did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, as a church body, what are we dependent upon? The Holy Spirit. Do we walk in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So again, we believe that God does heal today. But the second wing of that, we want to make sure, is that we also believe, because I think the Bible balances this out, is that not not everybody who wants to be healed is actually healed. We know, and you know, and, and some very godly people, they've been prayed for that, you know, again, there's nothing external, and for God's mysterious will that we don't understand or know, 
they were not healed in this life. And so again, how do we reconcile both things? You know, there were situations in the New Testament that even Jesus, who certainly was marked by healing and ministry, but there were situations that Jesus himself did not heal everybody. In fact, just by reference in Mark chapter 6, I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. You may want to make a note of it or open your Bibles to Mark 6. You can just listen. This was Jesus in his hometown. It said, he went away from there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? Remember, this is his hometown. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas, not that Judas, another Judas and Simon. In other words, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was born to Mary and are not his sisters here with us. What are they saying? Look, we know this hometown kid. He's one of us. And Jesus said to them, verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And notice verse 5. And he, Jesus, could not, could, could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Was there some defect or problem with Jesus? Well, verse 6 tells us. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. So we know there are cases, when we talk about why God didn't heal, there are cases that yes, a person's unbelief will hinder their healing. But there are cases at the same time that isn't just has anything to do with belief, but as I said, sometimes God doesn't heal that only He and His purpose know. Example, and I won't uh, turn and read it, but I, uh, you may make a note of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. You remember the Apostle Paul? Pretty big guy in the New Testament, right? The Apostle Paul, right? That he says that a messenger of Satan, he called it a thorn in the flesh, was allowed to inflict him. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, 7 through 10, he said he asked the Lord, prayed to the Lord three times. Now, you know, in uh, Scripture, it doesn't mean he just said, okay, I prayed the third time and that's it. Three is kind of a complete number. It, it really means that he continually prayed. He continually asked the Lord to take this affliction, this thorn from him. Did God do it? Not according to Paul's testimony in, first, in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12. It says he prayed three times. In other words, I prayed thoroughly and completely. And the Lord's response was what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So therefore, God in that situation, for reasons, and Paul even alludes, says that it was given to perhaps keep him somewhat uh, dependent upon the Lord. But for whatever reason, God chose not to bring healing in his life. So again, it isn't that it's either or, because the bottom line is, 
All healing is something that is gifted by God. But here's something I brought out last week. Our danger is, and hear me, our danger in wanting to be theologically precise, biblically correct, sometimes we have defaulted on the side of just saying, well, it's all under the sovereignty of God. And I think, and I'll just speak for me, sometimes that's a very lazy approach. Because, you know, as long as I just default, and I totally agree with that, but as long as I kind of just default over here, guess what? I'm not really having to exercise any trust or faith over here. I think there is a balance between being and having biblical expectation at the same time under the umbrella of God's sovereign will. But don't let over here where you're so afraid to somehow ask God or believe and trust God in an expecting kind of way for the healing of your life or somebody that you're, you're over here and your expectation is just kind of like, well, like the broken clock's right twice a day. You know, so I guess God, if it's my lucky day, he'll hear me. Oh, that's crazy. I think over here it's just easy to be lazy and just say, well, you know, whatever God wants. Sovereign. I think that's a misuse of the sovereignty of God. That's fatalism. The Bible says, ask, expect, believe. Why does faith need to come from hearing the word of the Lord? Because we ain't got much faith. We need the faith of God. What is faith? It's just trusting in God. I'm not trusting in my ability to yell loud enough or pray in the name of Jesus loud enough. No, I'm praying and I'm trusting, and I'm expecting, based upon what? Based upon the promises that God himself has given. God has bound himself to his word. I'm not asking, you know, remember Jesus gives the example about asking. It says, what father, if they are asked by their child to give them a fish, gives them a snake? Some of you think God is just playing these mind games with you all the time. He's not. He's our Heavenly Father. He wants to do into our life His will and His purpose. But when we talk about healing, we've got to keep those things in balance. All right, now, let's get practical, and this will be picked up. This is still about praying for physical pain. So that is, when should I pray? We look at the first two. Pray when I'm in emotional pain. Pray when I'm in physical pain. And within that principle of praying when I'm experiencing physical pain, James, back to James 5, gives us insight on how we are to do that. How are we to do that? And the first is, in James 5, verse 14, first, ask the spiritual leaders of your church family to pray for you. What do you do? What's the first step? Verse 14. You ask the elders. Verse 14. Is any one of you sick? Then you should call the elders, the pastors, the leaders of your church to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. It means that you take the initiative to ask the elders, the pastors, the the appointed spiritual leaders of the church Because your situation is of such 
Uh, dare I say it this way, but it's the only way I could say it. Listen, you, when you, if you remember what the sickness is here. This is a severe illness. Okay? This is a severe illness. This isn't, uh, Pastor Tim, I stumped my toe playing golf today, and I need you to come over and pray. It's not that kind of prayer. This is, this is, uh, this is a Laz situation up there at Lakeland Hospital. Uh, this is a situation where you physically cannot leave where you're at, and so you call, but, but the elders, you need, you need, if I say it this way, and if it's misunderstood, I'm sorry, I'll figure out a different way to say it. Listen, you need, you need some spiritual specialists to pray for you. You don't need just somebody that prays and reads their Bible once or twice a week. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, if I, if I got that kind of sickness, I just don't want anybody just... I want, I want somebody that really, we used to say, really can get in and get a hold of the Lord on my behalf because I can't do it. I need somebody to come alongside and intercede and pray with expectation Oh, Lord, if it's your will. You know what? I'm going to assume it is God's will. As long as somebody's got breath in their lungs, guess what? I'm going to pray and believe that it's God's will. Because I'm not God. I don't know. And if God changes and takes that person home, then I'll say, well, that's God's will. But until then, I'm not tapped into that. So therefore, until that happens, guess what? I'm going to pray and believe with expectation that prayer that God is going to raise this person off this bed, out of this sickness, out of this illness, that God, when, when we pray, the elders pray during the service. We want to pray. You want somebody to pray and act like they really believe what they're saying. If you're in that hospital room and you got oxygen, you got tubes, and <coughs> you got things beeping and blaring, and you want somebody that knows how to pray. I think about, and I had the reference, and I didn't get into it, but there was a situation where the Apostle Peter, uh, yeah, I won't turn to it, but back in Acts chapter 9, mark it down and read it later. Acts chapter 9, a girl named Dorcas or Tabitha, and she is literally either near death or has died. I'm trying to remember now. But you know what Peter does when he goes in there? He says, everybody get out. Read it. Why? I don't, I, this is serious. He tells everybody to get out. They're in there wailing and crying. And what does he do? He prays. All I'm saying is, I think sometimes in our pursuit of doctrinal precision, we, we get so precise that we lose a certain expectation of the work of the Spirit. It's not an either or, it's both and. And, and that's why we get it, we've got to be balanced. Does that make sense? Just humor me and say it does. All right. What does he say? Verse 14. And notice, again, I think there's a principle here. It's not the leaders initiating this call. Who's doing the calling? The person who is sick. Now again, I, that reminds me, of John chapter uh, 5. 
with the man at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be well? I think sometimes people need to take, not sometimes, all the time, take responsibility for your own spiritual welfare. Take responsibility. If you're desiring God to bring healing into your life, take responsibility. Don't just think it's just going to fall from the sky. It says, if anyone is among you sick, let them call. Why? Because what is that? You may not be able to show any, any, any act of faith, but, but you're calling for the elders. You're at least responding in, a, in faith and saying, I'm believing God to be true to his word, and I'm going to have the elders pray over me. That response, again, is an action of faith and belief and trust in the Lord. And so the person who is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. And that's why it's important that uh, one of the things that always troubles me, troubles uh, uh, is when I find out after the, after the fact that some of you were in the hospital or you had a surgery, or you had this or you had that. Use that little tear-off in the bulletin. Uh, send an email through the prayer request on the website. Communicate when you're going to be in the hospital, when something's going on. Allow us to pray for you. But if you don't call for the elders, quote-unquote, if you don't call for the church to believe with you and pray with you, we can't do it. So some responsibility is on the person who is sick. So how do we pray for healing? Number one, you call for the elders, the leaders of the church. Secondly, this is all right here in James. What does he say? Secondly, when you call for them, you have them, verse 14, you have them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Have them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Is verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him, her, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That word over, again, is, is you know, again, the picture is somebody who is uh, in bed sick, who has severe illness, laying hands on them. Laying hands where a person literally lays hands upon the person in, in, that, in that prayer, that's all throughout the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 6, it speaks about the laying on of hands, and it puts it in with where it says, let us, let us move on from those elementary principles, and it includes laying on of hands. Like, this is just kindergarten stuff. <laughs> Believing in laying on of hands and praying for people, this is kind of just part of basic uh, Christian living. That's what Hebrews 6 kind of puts it in that category. In Acts, uh, uh, some, were some examples where people received the baptism or the fullness of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, and others did not. See, we always want to reduce everything to a formula, all right? But laying on of hands. Um, Jesus, you remember when Jesus sent out the 12, and he had them go out kind of on a weekend maneuver, and they came back and thought, wow, demons believe, you know, here, they don't believe, but I mean, demons uh, obey us, and, you know, they came back and all that excitement, and that's in Mark chapter 10. But when he sent them out, he told them that when they go out, they are to lay hands on the sick. Jesus said that. So James, by the way, James, the author of the letter of James, is the half-brother of Jesus. Like I said, 
He's not a full brother because Jesus had one father. He was born of the Virgin Mary. His father uh, was father was was God, and uh, he was immaculately conceived by the Virgin Mary. He had an earthly stepfather, Joseph. Joseph and Mary later had children of their own, and so James grew up and was a part of the household. And uh, he later was, uh, church history tells us that James, the author of this letter of James, was the pastor of the local church that met in Jerusalem. So James is a pastor. What's he doing? He's writing a letter that's very pastoral, trying to teach the body about this aspect of healing when they're sick. And so laying on of hands, uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, to fan in the flame the gift of God that was given to you when the elders or leaders laid hands upon you. Different ways. What I find interesting is in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, you remember when Saul of Tarsus, the Holy Spirit, arrested him on that, on that road? And the Lord led him into the house of Ananias. I think this past Wednesday... Uh, we heard a little bit about that in our Experiencing God study. And Ananias was like, Lord, you sure you know who this guy is? I mean, he's out trying to kill us all, and you want me to, you want me to put him up for the night? And here's what's interesting is when you read Acts chapter 9, verse 17, the Bible says that, remember, uh, Saul was temporarily blinded. I'm not making this up. It's all in there, all right? He was temporarily blinded. And when he went into the house of Ananias, Acts 9, 17, the Bible says that Ananias, a non-apostle, laid hands on him, and he sight was recovered. Why do I say non-apostle? Because there's those that say all those miracles, only things, they were only done through the apostles to verify and authenticate their message. Well, here's Ananias performing a miracle, laying hands on Ultimately, who would be the apostle of the apostles, right? And God brought healing into his life, laying on of hands. So what do, you, what do you do? When you call for the elders of the church, you call that they would pray for you, that they would lay hands on you, very biblical. But then there's another thing it says, and what about this oil thing? Have them anoint you with oil. Have them anoint you with oil. Oil in Scripture is used, I mean, it's a symbol of course, for medicinal purposes, oil was used. Um, oils were used in, in, in different, uh, like I said, in medicines and balms and those type of things. But oil is also a symbol. You know, we're going to have communion next week. We'll have the, the bread and the juice. Those are symbols. When we have baptism, it's a symbol. It is a symbol. It is a visual. It is an illustration. Listen, it is an illustration or a symbol of a spiritual truth. You see, the power, when we have communion, the power is not in the juice and the matzah bread. We buy the juice at Publix, because that's where Karen requires us to buy it. She works at Publix, all right, so. It's matzah, gluten-free, by the way. Even matzah is gluten-free. The water we baptize in, guess what? It's good old Polk County water. It's not tapped in from Rome or wherever, right? It just The power is not in the elements. The, the power, the symbols are represented as 
symbols of promise to the reality, are, are symbols that point us to the promises of God. So the oil, anoint them with oil. Listen, you don't have to oil, get oil given as some gimmick by some guy on TV that says he's prayed over this oil and it's directly from Jerusalem. Hello? Okay? It's okay. You don't. No, no. Now listen, I don't have a scripture to prove this, but if you just use old Crisco oil, we don't use Crisco in our house. When my mother-in-law came, she was shocked that we didn't have was that lard? Isn't that what it basically is? No, we don't use that. <laughs> because it's a symbol. Do you hear what I'm saying? But it's a symbol, just like we partake of communion, baptism. They're symbols, and they are important. But it's not a gimmick. It's not a magical power. Sam Storms, who is uh, very helpful, he just makes this comment. He says... Most likely then, the anointing here, in, in, in James 5, the anointing, this, this anointing with oil, is a physical action with symbolic significance. He says we're probably to understand this as the consecrating or setting aside of this person for God's special attention. You remember in uh, the prophet Samuel, when David was anointed, he was anointed three different times in his kingship. One with his brothers, secondly over the tribe of Judah, and then thirdly over the house of Israel. He was anointed three different times. Each time, Samuel the prophet, what did he do? He poured oil on his head and anointed him as a symbol of God's, of the Spirit of God that would come upon him. So when we pray, the oil is just a symbol. There's no power inherent in that oil. It's the power is in prayer. So you call for your church leaders, number one. Secondly, you ask them to pray over you. And then thirdly, he gives us a third instruction. If we're wanting to say, what does the word say? Here's the third instruction, is that you pray in faith by or through the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord. You're praying in faith. You're praying in trust by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two qualifications. It is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because why? Because God is the healer. Healing is based upon God's promise, God's character. And so we pray in the name of the Lord. Look over in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen. <clears throat> Look over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, begging. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, this lame man, asked to receive alms, asked for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him 
as did John, and said, look at us. You could just see a lot of times those guys that, you know, you pass all around Lakeland with the cardboard signs, and they're just, they're just you know, you can tell they're beaten down. Just, you know, and he said, look at us. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Look at what he said. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We sing about earlier about the power of that name. There is power of that name. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not just a, some kind of ritualistic thing, but there's power because the name of Jesus. So when you pray, when the elders pray, when you, as we'll see in just a minute, when you pray for one another, pray in the name of the Lord. Then it says, not only pray in the name of the Lord, but there's a second part of that in verse 15, is that we are to pray in faith. We are to pray and trust in the Lord. Here's the short version. Pray like you believe it. That's our struggle. Do I believe this? Am I just going through it? ritualistically. What is it? Their third commandment says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. That means don't take it and use it in an empty way. How oftentimes do we use God's name in an empty way? And I'm not, it, I don't, I'm not convinced it's just talking about cussing or putting damn at the end of the word. Oh, I'll go home to church. Say, Pastor, use the word damn. That's not, I don't think that's really what it's talking about. It's saying don't use the name of God in an empty, trivial way that has no meaning or purpose. It's like taking an umbrella and it's pouring down rain and you never open the umbrella. What are you doing? That umbrella is of no use. It's, it's vain to you. You're not, using, you're not using that instrument properly. Don't use God's name in an empty, meaningless way, because this is the name of the Lord. He's a jealous God. He's a whole, he doesn't even want his name. I mean, the Jews were so sacred on the name of the Lord, they wouldn't even put the vowels in there. They were careful not to pronounce the name of the Lord. Thank goodness we're in the new covenant world, right? That we can speak to God as Abba, Father, as Daddy, relationship. So when we pray, we're not praying in a vain, empty way, ritualistic. We're praying with the weight of the name of Jesus. But you got to know the name of Jesus. You got to know Jesus. You got to walk with Jesus. Otherwise, you're just in there reciting some empty prayer because, well, Hebrews 11:6 says that without faith, it is impossible. Again, maybe the word trust is easier than the word faith. Trusting in God. Without trusting in God is impossible. To please Him. So, when are we to pray? We are to pray in our emotional pain. We're to pray in physical pain. But believe it or not, there's a third point that we're going to conclude this morning. And we are to pray in spiritual pain. In spiritual pain. Pray in emotional pain. Pray in physical pain. And where do, you, where do we get that? Verse 15. 
It says, and if he, talking about the one we're praying for, for healing, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's, that's spiritual, isn't it? Sins is a spiritual dynamic. So when do I pray? I pray when I'm emotionally stressed, I'm emotionally having a hard time. When I'm physical, whether it's a whether it's a, a, a momentary illness or sickness or injury or it's an ongoing illness and pain, I'm to depend on the Lord and pray. And God gives some, some prescriptions, if you will, there in verse 14 and 15. But then it also speaks that when I am experiencing spiritual pain, now hear me and hear me carefully, that there is a connection between sin and sickness. But I am not saying that every sickness is related to some sin in, some, in your life. That's, that's false. You remember in uh, John uh, chapter 9, you remember the Pharisees had that mistaken view when the blind man was healed. Remember they asked, they wanted to kind of trip him up, and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? John 9. He said, none of them. That has nothing to do with his blindness. The situation is for the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? That means from the mark of eternity, God knew that blindness would eventually be healed, and he knew at the nanosecond of time that Jesus would cross his path, and that man would be healed dramatically to the glory of the Lord. Yes, was, did God intentionally allow that man to be born blind? Yes. Why? For his glory, that he would be an example, an instrument of glorifying Jesus by being Healed dramatically that all could see. And the only explanation could be that God did this. That's what he says, John 9. He said sickness didn't have anything to do with it. But on the other side, there are suggestions and situations that it does suggest that sin does affect. There was a paralyzed man in Mark 2.9 that Jesus healed him. And he told them, he said, this paralyzed man in Mark 2.9, he said, as he healed him, he said, your sins are forgiven. What is the connection there? John 5.14, I mentioned John 5 about the man at the pool of Bethesda, crippled for over 20 years. What did Jesus tell him after he was healed? He said, go and sin no more. I don't, I don't, but I'm just saying there is in some cases, a connection between the spiritual sin and it manifesting in physical dynamics. But at the same time, there's people who are sick and then sin doesn't have anything to do with it. And then there are times that the spiritual healing that we need is the spiritual sickness of being afflicted through our shame, our bitterness, our anger, our hurt. And we need spiritual healing into those deep recesses of our life that a counselor, a pastor, a friend can only go so far that the Holy Spirit can go and do that deep work of the Holy Spirit because those are things in our life that are causing us to be tripped up. Those things are in our life, the, the bitterness, the shame, the hurt, the pain, all those things are affecting the way that we live as believers and we need spiritual healing in our life. Sometimes as, as a church, we haven't 
uh, always emphasize that. Sometimes in some quarters they talk about inner healing. It's getting into that, it's getting into, and, and certainly if you take transformation, that, that certainly is a big part of that. But it's in those areas that only the Spirit of God can go. Do you know the Holy Spirit can come into our life, or comes into our life, and the Holy Spirit can get down deep and do deep stuff? And we're like, I never knew that was there. I never knew that's why I did what I did. And certainly those of you that go through the transformation teaching understand that. And so we pray for spiritual healing. I love the promise in 1 John 1.9. Look at the promise of 1 John 1.9. What does it say? If we confess our sins. This is, by the way, that's a promise to believers. Because John is written to believers. If we confess our sins, that tells me that as a believer, I will sin. I will have sin. I don't have to have sin. I don't have to intentionally go out and make sin. But, but, but if we confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to do what? See, we have the theological justification part. Forgive us of our sins. That's justification. We got that. We know that. But here's the other part that I think relates to this praying in our spiritual pain. The Holy Spirit, God, will do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you still carry stains and baggage of unrighteousness. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified by faith. Names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's not the issue. But that cleansing us from all unrighteousness, that's part of that work of sanctification. That's that part of the work of the Spirit that He wants to do. When do we pray? When do we seek God for prayer? When I need God to touch and heal me spiritually in those areas of my life. Nobody can see, but the Lord can see it. And then he tells us something in verse 16. Remember I said that James was a pastor. He's writing to a local church. But he says you don't have to call for always this type of prayer. In verse 16, look at verse 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You say, well, what kind of person can pray? What, what, it must be a spiritual giant. Well, verse 17, he tells us. Look at verse 17. He says, I'll give you an example. Elijah. Elijah? Elijah was a prophet. No, James says, yeah, okay, that was, yeah, he did that prophet thing. But it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was, just the, he was just like us. He wasn't anything special inherently. What made him special, if you will, was his praying fervently. His trusting in God fervently. What made the difference in Elijah's life? It was that he trusted in God. So he says, look, if Elijah had a nature and a demeanor and just like us... And God worked in Elijah's life to bring about miracles. And you can read, I mark it down, 1 Corinthians. Nope, Tim, he wasn't in the New Testament. 1 Kings 16, 17, 18, right in that neighborhood, you'll read all about Elijah. Elijah worked miracles 
Uh, he did miraculous things. He had exhibited great bravery. But this is what is so awesome about Elijah, that he was a man just like ours, in that he sometimes, as you'll read there in uh, 1 Kings uh, uh, 18, I think, maybe it's 17, he's, he, he find that he is overcome with fear. After that, remember the, those of you who know your Bible, Old Testament, remember that big event at Mount Carmel where he challenged the prophets, the, the false prophets of Baal, whoever answered by fire, and God did a miraculous thing, and then all of a sudden Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she's just a Jezebel, no Jezebel, Put him on America's most wanted list or Israel's most wanted list. And he fled after that great miracle. And then you find him hiding, wishing that he was dead, depressed. A man just like us went through all the emotions, worried, had emotional burnout. A human just like us. What made the difference? The made the difference is because Elijah dared to trust God and believe and prayed. Prayed expectantly. James, Pastor James, picks Elijah and says, Look, don't compare yourself. <laughs> Look at this guy, Elijah, and how he dared to trust God and what God did through him. So when you pray, praying for one another, remember that if God could use an ordinary person like Elijah, God can use us. But don't miss this. This whole thing about prayer. And this may bother some of you. I'm not trying to pick a fight. Necessarily. You don't have to chase off. Chase around town. To some meeting. With some person that claims to have a special gift of healing. These are gifts that God has given the body. These are gifts that God has given one another if we will believe. Because again, as Elijah is the example, it wasn't a trust in our own power. It's do we dare to trust that God would use me exercising the prescription of the word to allow him to work through me. And I understand when people say, Pastor... Pray for this, pray for that, and I, that's the right thing. I get it, I get it. But I don't have any secret line that you don't have. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. Same spirit, same Jesus, same anointing is available to every one of you that are born again and trusting in Jesus. You, have, you tap in and pray the same, maybe more so. And what... James says, don't, when he goes back, go back to verse, whatever, 16. Could you go back? Yeah. Pray for one another. Confess your sins. We're not confessing to a priest. What are you doing? You know, sometimes, we talk about confessing, sometimes God facilitates healing when we get out of our own little shell and find somebody and say, let me tell you, what I'm struggling with, what I'm going through. Will you, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Sometimes that opens the door for God to work in our lives when we're willing to come alongside another brother or sister 
and open up and say, let me tell you where I need God to touch my life. See, kind of what we do is we just kind of close ourselves in and we're not willing to open any door. Now, I'm not saying you go out and put it on Facebook and put it everywhere into the world or, you know, the guy at Wawa, you pin him up against the wall and start telling him your problems. No, no, that's why it's important to be a part of a local church that has godly leadership, that's trusting God, not perfect leaders. You know that well, me at the front of the line here. But a body of believers that are trusting Jesus, developing relationships. You see, that's what, don't miss the context of this. Don't just focus on healing, but focus on the pattern and how God heals and uses the local church.